When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yes, guys, I'm Sai. Welcome to Ace Podcast Nation. We're back again here at ECE Media, so big thanks to them. And uh, we're here for another episode of My Story, rattling along this Series 5. Already had some good guests, and uh, delighted to be joined by filmmaker, boxing media man, boxing commentator, bit of everything. <laughs> Keelan Gillens, how are you, my friend? Yeah, very good, yeah. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on the show. Very, um... Well, I know some of the guys who were on here, like Guy Lockett and Keelan Gethin, and no, just to name two, so it's a bit... Uh, Humbling to be mm. to be asked on your show when you especially have guys like that on. No, it's just I um I like to have a range of people around. You know, I've had uh, rappers and bands and footballers, boxers, fighters. Whatever. As long as you don't expect me to do any rapping. No, you're okay. right then. <laughs> Both of us will do a little duet going on. It'll be fine. But um, no, like obviously we you're working on Saturday at a, at a boxing event doing the commentary and the, and the filming, which I was lucky enough to go to. I really enjoyed it actually. Unfortunately, uh, Kieran Geffen, who had, we, had, we had on a couple of episodes back, didn't quite uh, get a victory that he was hoping for. It was a good fight, but um, how did you find, like, what did you think of the standard of the fights and that and throughout the night? Um, I think it was a sort of typical show in terms of it was uh, most of the fights, the undercard fights were you know, prospects, local prospects for the most part. And we had a few guys there from the south of England as well. We had prospects against journeymen. Mm. But, you know, but we had a good main event. So I think as long as you got one sort of fifty-fifty fight on the card or sixty-forty, you know, that should be the standard. So yeah, you know, it's good to have the undercard fights. And no, the fair play, all the undercard fights were really good as well. They were exciting to watch. But it is good to have, uh, uh, you know, a, a main event where you don't really know who's going to win. And I spoke to a lot of people you know, in the build-up to the fight, and there's a lot of different opinions on who, who's going to win the fight. Which you know, and I've got to say, credit to Keaton Gethin. Yeah. He's fighting in his hometown. He could have probably fought anyone he wanted to. Really, he could have picked a, a journeyman himself, and he still yeah. would have sold the place out. Yeah, and all his fans are probably wouldn't know any different. Because most no. people don't know how boxing works. Like he could have fought some guy from Eastern Europe and 
keep them up over eight rounds and the fans would have all cheering and happy. Yeah, so I oh, just want to say full credit to Kieran Gethin for taking that risky fight. Yeah, and I think um, it was it was really interesting fight. Like, it was quite close, and I think um, particularly in the early sort of first three or four rounds, I thought Kieran generally had the had the better of those. And then um, he did catch him at one point, and I thought, oh, there we go, this is going to be it, and the round sort of ran out. But I was very impressed with the the footwork of of uh, Yaxley in particular, but it's just his head move when he just stayed away from Kieran from that sort of fourth round point. Yeah, he just he, even when he got him in the corner, he would just skip out of it, and he was yeah. very. I think Yaxley, clever. He sort of grew as a fighter mm. during the fight. You could see he started off the fight the first round aggressive. He then he got caught. He got a bit hurt. Uh, getting caught with a few really good punches. Yaxley weathered the storm. And he looked a bit hesitant for a while. And it took him a while just to get, gain his composure, maybe his confidence. I, I don't know. I didn't speak to him after the fight, so I'm not quite sure how, how he felt. But then uh, around the middle point, as you said, he seemed to gain his confidence and he found a, a good style where he didn't necessarily have to get too involved in a in a fight as such. No. Just using his footwork, throwing the occasional jab. And his jab was really good. That was a really good jab from Sean Yaxley. Powerful jab. Whereas Kieran Gethin's jabs more flicking shots. Gethin was, uh, sorry, Yaxley was really putting power in every shot, every jab he threw. And just just, just clever footwork. Yeah, it was, I was impressed. I felt he was really good, actually, Yaxley. And I agree with you, he, he sort of grew into it. You could see he was getting more confident. And also, I th- I'm sure Kieran said when I spoke to him that Yaxley had, had only done eight rounds before. Yeah. So it was the first time he'd done the full ten as well. Because I said to my father-in-law as the fight was going on, as because we, you know, as the fight went on, it did look like Yaxley was sort of starting to take the fight away from Kieran mm. a little bit. And um, even though well, I thought it was still quite close, it was. Yeah, I thought Yaxley sort of had the edge. Didn't yeah, he, I think I think it was um, Kieran when he got in punching range. He threw really good combinations, mm. and you could see he obviously got the power to hurt Yaxley. But it was just the footwork. Yaxley's footwork was always just a slightly step ahead. Yeah. For the most part, and Kieran Gethin was always just, just didn't have the footwork to cut the ring off in time and pin uh, Yaxley on the ropes. It's interesting, isn't it? Because so you had that fight, and then there was a fight earlier on. Um, who's the guy I was asking you about? I forget his name. Aaron already. Bird. Yeah, Aaron Bird fight where he was fighting um, this bald guy. Daryl um, Sharp. Daryl Sharp, and he um, Daryl Sharp was trying to call him on a lot, and he was trying to get. He wanted it to be in the pocket, and he close up and. And fighting, and and Aaron Bird was didn't want none of that. He yeah. was kept his distance really well, and it was interesting because you, Bird obviously being the Welsh guy, people in the crowd are saying, "Oh look, he's doing really well. He's staying the distance, and he's you know, he's using his his reach and stuff like that." And then in the main event, he actually did the same thing, but you heard it, there was a few murmurs of, "Oh, he's he's scared of him, and he's chasing him, and you know he's having to, you know he doesn't want it." Yeah. It's interesting, like yeah, but I think. With Daryl Sharp, who people probably a lot of people don't know watching the podcast, um, he's had about I think it, that was his hundred twenty second fight wow. on Saturday night. I mean, he's lost probably the vast majority of those, mm. probably ninety percent of those contests. But he does spring the odd upset, and he's, he's a very okay. clever guy. I mean, he's been in with some really good guys like Liam Williams, just for example. Okay, he fought a guy. Um, oh, what's his name though? One of the like reality star shows a few weeks yeah. ago in New York, all which I commented on, and so he, he normally have a look at a guy and then. If he feels he can might be able to spring an upset, he'll, he'll push on. But if he can't, he'll go into like sort of defensive mode. Mm. Whereas with I guess with Aaron Bird, he probably looked at his record. He's he's having his second pro fight here now. I'm gonna try and go get a win. And he looked yeah. like he was going for the win, Daryl yeah. Sharp on Saturday. And I gotta say credit to Aaron Bird as well because with his inexperience, he could have easily been drawn into that fight and end up fighting 
uh, Donald Sharp's type of fight, which would be the brawling, mauling type of fight, and given given an opportunity for Sharp to get a, a win or a draw, perhaps. But no, got to give credit to Bird. He stuck to his game plan really well. He was quite disciplined. Didn't fall for any of the traps because Sharp was goading him the whole yeah, time, talking to him. I, I actually said said on commentary. Actually, I've commentated on probably half a dozen of Donald Sharp's fights now, and. Um, if he got paid for the amount of talking you do in a boxing ring, he'd be a very, very rich man. Because he just doesn't stop talking. Like some referees tell him to stop talking, he just pays no attention. Yeah, he tried. He did try. He tried pretty much tried every trick in the book, mm. didn't he, to goad him into it? And yeah, like you say, Bird has done well to to sort of live with that. And then my father-in-law said to me, he said, Queensbury rules is um, the art of boxing is to hit and not be hit or something mm. to that yeah, effect. Yeah. And it's like, so even though sometimes I think crowds can get a bit frustrated with it, I think. There's a skill to it, and I, I was impressed. Like I said before, I was impressed with the actually as much as it hurt me because I really wanted Keenan yeah. to win, you know, and uh, I was gutted for him. But I think it's just getting the balance. You know, you got you got to depending on the fight. Like probably, I guess it maybe it'd be interesting to see what Kieran Yaxley had to think about that fight because I wonder what, what he thought. Maybe looking back, maybe he should have pushed it a little bit more. Cause he seemed to be a little bit bigger. He seems a naturally bigger guy than getting because getting like he's moved up a couple of weights over the years. So maybe he could have been more aggressive because when he did push forward, he seemed to be bullying Kieran slightly. Um, so it would have been interesting to, to, to know what Yaxley feels about that fight. But I think it was just a case of, like you said, he's never gone beyond eight rounds. The first time he's probably fought anyone who's tried to win since his amateur days. So he's been a pro now for four or five years or so. Um, fight number 13 against a really good experienced opponent in Kieran Gethin. So I think it was just the key was to get the win. But I think... Maybe look back, and actually, I, I will. No, I think we said it on the night as well on commentary. If Kieran Gethin and Yaxley want to have a rematch, that'll be a really good rematch. Yeah, yeah and I think there's there was enough in the fight when they was close yeah. enough that you could do do a rematch without too much sort of controversy. Yeah. If you, controversy, if you like. Um, and sorry, I just want to say yeah, that I thought the I, th I thought uh, Yaxley did win clearly, but yeah. I think the cards should have been a little bit closer as well. I, 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 when we were doing the commentary, we had Richie Garner. Scoring the fight it was a it was a trainer and a manager and you had Dewey Powell who was a, a Welsh boxing reporter they were scoring the fight and they had it really close like some of the rounds were difficult to score mm. so I guess I, I guess all the judges on the close rounds they were just edging towards you actually yeah I think um, thinking back I think when we were talking in between rounds I'm sure there was about I'm sure there was at least two maybe three which we thought were pretty mm. pretty even even yeah. though it was difficult to pick between the two of them and then so if you sort of take two or three as a even split and yeah. then but I think it was the job the job yeah, was the key the, yeah, for yeah, and the fair play it was a brilliant job really powerful and then when it landed it landed cleanly yeah and I think as the ground, as the as the fight went on as well I think Kieran got a little bit frustrated with the chasing of him and there was one round later on I think it might have been eight possibly seven um, where Kieran didn't chase him and he kind of stood his ground in the middle and he actually took more damage in mm. that round than he had yeah. when he was sort of trying to corner him and stuff so no, it was interesting. It was a good night. I really enjoyed it. And then, like I was saying to you just before we started, they looked after my wife, who's got a broken cocktail at the moment as well. The security did. Um, <coughs> yeah, and I think yeah, there's an event like you. you know, obviously it's, it's only the second one that Kieran's promoted mm -hmm. and done himself. And I can only imagine the stress and the work that goes into oh, it and everything. Yeah, I mean, people. It's called professional boxing, but people when they turn the TV on to watch boxing or whether they click on to watch a fight on YouTube or whatever. It all looks very professional. You've got mm. the referee, the judges, commentators, maybe, or whatever. And it looks oh, really good 99% of the time. But people wouldn't believe the chaos that goes on behind the scenes and the, the organisation and 
sometimes just the blind panic, just trying to get everything yeah, right. And, and that's where it was on Saturday night. There were so many things happening. It was a difficult. Well, it wasn't a boxing venue. It was a market hall, so awesome. there's market stalls out which had to be put away. Certain things hadn't been done. There's a lot of other things going on, and but it all just seemed to come together. Bang on Alpha Seven. That's what we want, isn't it? I mean, not normally when I'm doing the commentary, I like to make notes on things. I do like to do a bit of research, but it was literally we right. set everything yeah. up. Literally just as we set up, the first fight was taking place. So we just just got there just in time. You're sweating now, isn't it? Last minute. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> but you know it's, it's good I mean and, yeah. and I gotta say as well fair, to vote, fair play to the, the officials from the British Boxing Board of Control they were really good on Saturday night that wouldn't have working with us because it was like a race against time to get everything ready and you know, they were very cooperative and uh, you know, just, just give them a little shout out as well excellent um, so I want to talk a bit about another thing which I was getting about which is James Lilly's fight recently um, but I think before we get to that, we'll, we'll save that for a bit because obviously I want to talk about your film as well. Let's talk about you a little bit. Um, kind of where did it all begin with you in terms of talk to us a little bit about your early life and then your sort of journey into the boxing side of things? Okay, well, I, I was in the army. I, I joined the army straight from school. Um, I left the army when I was about 22 and started doing other work. But um, I've always loved boxing, basically. You know, I, had, I had a couple of fights as a schoolboy. I had a couple of fights when I was in the army. It wasn't particularly good. But just I, I always enjoyed it, so I've always been a big fan. Um, and the way it started with the boxing media was my missus, she used to like boxing, but as, as I've grown to be more involved, I think it's just a noise and more than anything, so she sort of doesn't bother so much. But she used to really enjoy boxing, and she used to love Manny Pacquiao and Ricky Hatton. Okay. So when they fought back in, whenever it was, um, I was actually picking my daughter up from nursery, so I was waiting for her, I was in the local library, because didn't have internet no phones in those days. So just on the local library, he said, oh, Rick, Manny Pacquiao, Ricky Hatton, doing a press conference in London. Yeah, okay. So I said, all oh, right, okay, I'd love to meet Manny Pacquiao. So I was Googling away on the, the, the computer in the library. And um, I managed to get a phone number, one of Ricky Hatton's press guys. So I just give a phone call, I said, look, I'm a boxing reporter. I wasn't, I was nothing. Yeah. I said, could you just put my name on the press list? And they went, yeah, okay. I said, oh, uh, okay, and I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a photographer as well. Yeah, okay. So my name is on the press list. Me and my missus went to London for the press conference in the Imperial War Museum. I mean, you can Google it now with all the pictures still online. And it was such a massive event because people, well, perhaps the youngsters watching this maybe, um, Manny Pacquiao was a massive name in world yeah, boxing. Ricky Hatton was a massive name in British boxing. The event was huge. The press yeah, conference yeah. was like thousands of people there at the press conference. I mean, not most press conferences, if you go to them, the, the promoters are happy to have you there. So you, they, they, they'd like you to email them in advance, but you don't bother. You just normally turn up and get let in. Mm. Especially if you go to a lot of them, they, the guys, the security guys will recognise your face and just let you in. But with this one, because there's so many people there, they were proper boxing people, media, not yeah. being let in because they hadn't bothered wow. emailing. Whereas me and my missus were there. Me and my had to borrow a camera off someone, so you know the camera at the time. <laughs> my missus had bought a notebook from Tesco's to pretend to be a boxing reporter, and we were just let in, in amongst us. It was amazing. We'd be there, yeah. I shook Manny Parker's hand, chatted to Floyd May with a senior, talking to um, Freddie Roach, the trainer as well. I was thinking, wow, this is a... It's this a memorable day, that is, isn't this, it? This is, a, so this is a good idea. You can just get a... If you've got a camera, you can just get yeah, any box. And so sure. I bought a good camera. And then I just started going around the small hall shows in Wales, taking pictures of the boxers during the fights. I mean, the protos are happy to have me there because this is back in the day before there was any YouTube channels or anything. So I, I was just taking pictures of the boxing, just the small hall shows, publicising the uh, events. Um, boxing News then started buying some of the pictures <coughs> off me for the... Uh, boxing magazine so it was like a massive thrill for me just to see my pictures in boxing news one of the oldest boxing magazines in the world yeah 
it's, it's awesome is how he kind of just took your natural love of it yeah on uh, the off chance went for yeah. a little day like which created these incredible memories and then yeah. got a bit of a bug for it and grew from there yeah and i so, just sort of just kicked on with it and then really like um Leighton cleverly he was training with a guy dan owens about you know darren he actually trained with jamie evans who boxed mm. on saturday night um so i said to darren there was any chance and i also do a little bit of video as well i done a, a video course only like a, a one hour a week video course how to film home videos how yeah. to film holiday videos was meant to be because mm. the title of the course a free course I used to do back in the day so i had a video i spent about three four grand buying a professional video camera and i sort of said to darren who was training was strength and conditioning coach nathan cleverly when he was on his way up through the ranks I said any chance of getting an interview with nathan so I said, okay. He said, yeah, okay, we saw those. I said, I need Nathan. I contacted a, a boxing show that used to be on Channel 4, on ITV4, called KOTV Boxing, or KOTV Weekly was called at the time. I said, okay, I got this interview with Nathan Cleverly. Do you want it? And they, so they bought the interview off me. I was like, okay, this is pretty good. Yeah. And, go on, and then they said, any other interviews for this? So I interviewed Carl Frotch, interviewed Ricky Hatton, interviewed the Eubanks. Because this was the time before there wasn't really many YouTube channels. So no, yeah. it'd be a lot more difficult to do what I did now because boxers get inundated with interview yeah, requests there's so yeah. many people out there whereas back in the day and then at the time kotv weekly was the only boxing show on uh, terrestrial tv in britain so it used to be on the early hours on a wednesday morning so the, the fighters are always happy to you know when you say you work with a tv channel they're always yeah. more than happy to give interviews so i like i said i went all over the country interviewing all the big names yeah and i think as well it's um like obviously most when boxers are on their way up, like someone asked me the other day, um, or the other week, sort of, they, some, I didn't know them, they just, they would start, they wanted to start like a YouTube thing, and they just said, oh, how do you get all these people from football and boxing and stuff and MMA? And I, to be honest, I said, a lot of it's just through, start, I just started off, when I started, I literally started with, right, who do I know? Mm. Okay, and I was like a smallish list of footballers and athletes and stuff. And then it was like, right, who do my friends know? And then it kind of grew from there. But what I've found with fighters, both from MMA and boxing, really, is on their way up, they just want to get their name out there. So they're more than happy to give you their time. They're yeah. more than happy to come down for podcasts and that. And then if you hit it off or you get on with them, you keep in touch and you yeah. sort of become think, friends and have a chat. And then when they, if they make it, they're you've also still happy, contact, yeah, yeah. They're happy to sort of speak to you because they trust you yeah. and they know you do. Because I like go to all the, the Welsh boxing gyms, I mean, the two main boxing gyms in Wales for the pros is Guy Lockett in Cardiff and Tony Boggs down in Newport. Because I go there to interview, no, I interview, if I turn up there on my camera, and especially when I'm only doing like my YouTube channel, if you like, mm. I just interview all the boxers. So a lot of these guys, I interview the guys like Gavin Gwynn, who's gone on to fight for a European that. title, or Lee Selby, who's former world champion, but I also interview the guy who's having his pro debut. Mm. So I mean that you make that contact and then if, if that guy who's on his pro debut if he's you know, getting ready to fight for a or whatever title further on down the line, the contact's already made. I mean like with uh, like Liam Williams, for example, I mean Liam's great. I can always text Liam now or or phone him and he'll always answer the call and for, for an interview just because he said he, he said to me plenty of times he, he was grateful for I was giving him the publicity in the early days of his career. Exactly when perhaps idea. no people weren't no but like you like you said, when when young guys want the attention and just need to build their um well the the status or build their, yeah, um, their platform the especially with the internet now like they half the battle is getting your name out there yeah i think with, with the way it is now mind there is so many youtube channels and there's some good it's different eh? some not so good i mean the market sort of flooded a little bit yeah oh yeah i find it i i it's infuriating sometimes but 
like for me personally I just found that through because I had this weird thing where I started off and it was mind-numbingly just soul destroying like as you like watching like a couple of views sort of take over and then I had a couple of shows which were doing really well like as a series like I had the one with Andy Campbell doing the football every Monday with like a different footballer on each day and that was really really doing well like to the point where we were talking to some other things separately and we were talking about doing a live show in fact I was telling uh, someone I met on Saturday because I got recognised on Saturday which was very <laughs> very there's only the second time it's ever happened the last time was like in Tesco's or somewhere but like on Saturday it was weird for me because I was very disconcerting because I was with my missus and my father-in-law and someone called my name and sort of turned and okay come up to me and shook my hand and stuff and he knew who I was and I didn't have I was like Do you know I'm trying to place him yeah. and you yeah. feel bad then because you don't know who it is yeah. and then he sort of said from the podcast yeah it was good it was a great no, great thought it's for you for wow. the consistency with, with the, when you're doing like podcast like, I, I did a short podcast just mm. when I was during lockdown just to try and stop myself from crazy yeah just interviewed a few guys I was in the army with you know, guys who yeah. had different experiences uh, but I think it's, you've got to just do it on a regular basis, like obviously what you're doing, you've got to line those interviews yeah, up. and keep them going. Yeah, so I got like two this week, you've got yourself today, and i got someone at the end of the week coming up here, and I did a couple online last week, and it's, it is, it, people don't realise the work that goes mm. into, not just the doing it and the editing and the rest of it, it's the constantly, like on a daily basis, having to send out texts mm. and trying to chase people up and stuff. But, well, yeah, that's what I was saying, so, we were doing really well with um, the football one with Andy and then we had like a little sort of phone call meeting thing to start pushing towards this live show in Cardiff with some guests and we'll do like a live podcast and I had a band who I was friendly with from Liverpool where they were going to come down and it was all kind of quite set up nicely and then literally the next day Andy phoned me and said I've been offered the Mills the ladies manager job and it's like literally the only job in football that he would have taken right so he was like right okay yeah. <laughs> so anyway what i was saying was like we started started off it was really slow then it went really good and it started to grow like really quickly and i was like oh flip back didn't expect this because it was going quite quickly and then a few things happened i had to change some stuff up and it kind of went stayed the same or it went a bit down and then it's starting to go back up again now so it's like Got to bear with it, I think, and try not to. I've learned over the time I've been doing it, not to get too caught up in. I don't think you can find. Like I, don't, I've, I stopped comparing myself to other people as well, like other yeah. similar shows and channels and stuff, and I just do my thing now. Yeah, like like I, I when I had my YouTube channel, I created my YouTube channel ages ago. When I started doing stuff for KOTV, um, a guy runs another YouTube channel. Said, "Oh, when you have a YouTube channel, I was like, oh, I do." A, so I created one anyway, and KOTV said any footage. I think actually what they said was, once the, once the, the whatever I film gets shown on television, they'll allow me then to upload any footage onto my YouTube channel. So I was doing that, and I wasn't even paying any attention to it until a friend said to me, "Why don't I monetize my YouTube channel?" Mm. I was like, "Well, it's never mm, even considered okay. doing it." He said, "Well, you got like thousands of views, and I, I'd, like I said, I'd upload the videos, and we wouldn't even really check on them." Yeah. And uh, no, so my YouTube channel now brings in a few quid every quarter, whatever it is, of YouTube. I mean, it's not something I, I think if you're stressed about it or overthink it, yeah, then it becomes stressful, and you're making yourself stressful. Whereas if it just ticks over itself without really much effort, yeah, well, no, I wouldn't I say much effort. It was no without. 
about trying to get the yeah. news. Just, just do what you enjoy doing. And it's also a good place to sort of store your stuff. Mm. Especially if, like in your case, where you're out a lot filming and doing lots of interviews and stuff like that, you can kind of upload it. And then if you get a bit of a storage issue <laughs> with all yeah. your devices and, and yeah. your computer and that, you can... You know it's there. Yeah, so I, I've got I got so many hard drives oh, at home, just piles of them. And sometimes, if I want to get a little clip off, like I had to do it for the Lily film, if I want to get a little clip of a boxer saying something or a bit of footage, I, I know it's on YouTube. Rather than even trying to find my hard drive, it's easier something just to yeah. download it off my YouTube channel 100%. and then edit it there rather than yeah, just trying to that. go through my dozens of hard drives. Yeah, I've done that a lot. Like when I go back and I, because I have periods where I need to go and make some clips of some older stuff or whatever, and then. I think, uh, which one's it on? No, I'm just, you just get it <laughs> yeah. off YouTube, isn't it? Um, so how did it, so was it just like a natural progression into the commentary side of it? Right, well, it and I don't know if you remember, are you, are you a Cardiff boy? Yeah. Yeah, very well. So you might, do you remember Made in Cardiff TV? Yes, yes, yes. Right, so I, I, I actually, they asked me to do some of their boxing and MMA and sports work. So they, yeah. they had a sports show on the, the channel for a while. Um, so I had to go for a meeting. They had an office in uh, St Mary Street. So I had to go for a meeting there one day about some boxing thing or something or other. So I just had just you know, an opportunity to rise and just go grab them. So the producer, the, the guy who ran the channel, took a phone call from Made in Bristol TV that they were at a, they had a boxing show on, which is Wales versus England in Hereford. Did Made in Cardiff TV have a commentator to supply them? And they would be like a Wales-England thing. Yeah. So you just got a phone and said, uh, Kieran, can you do commentary? And I was like, <laughs> it's like one of those moments, do you say yeah. yes or no? I said, yeah, no problem. Yeah. I never done commentary before in my life. I never even considered doing commentary in my life. And I, I left the, we had, we, had the meet, yeah, we had the meeting, <laughs> finished the meeting or whatever it was about. And I walked out to St. Mary Street thinking, right, well, we just agreed to do, you know, yeah. I've agreed to do commentary that's going to be on TV. And I've never even considered doing commentary. So if you haven't thought about it, you haven't even got like an idea of. Yeah, I had no idea. So actually, I tell you, I text um, Barry Jones, so the former world champion, yeah. and I just said, "Could you just give me some tips? Cause I'm doing this commentary now. I, I yeah, no idea what I'm doing." He sent me a huge message back, give me pointing a few things out, do this, do that, don't do this, and just general advice. So I appreciate Barry for doing that. And yeah, I just took it from there. Basically, I mean, um, how did the first one go? Um. It was nerve-wracking, really. Yeah. Really nerve-wracking. Um, very self-conscious. When you got the headset on, you listen to your own voice. Yeah. And it, it took a long time, because what, what made it more difficult as well, I, I didn't have a lot of commentary work, so I might, might have done maybe only two or three a year. Okay. So it took a while, and then every time, because they were only every few months, or maybe every three or four months, it was almost like starting again. Yeah. So I was having one or two, and then Don't get like a flow to it, I suppose. Yeah, it's like no, just if you got, if you got do a lot of commentary or whatever it is maybe not just commentary ending. If you get used to it, you get you relax into it. Was so I wasn't getting a lot of work at the time. Um, it took a while to settle into it. Yeah, I can understand that. Even I think just comparing it to like podcasting in terms of when I first started, it was quite big gaps between each show. So each show for the first probably five to ten, I think I was really nervous, even just doing it in my house. And then the same when I started coming here to film for them to film show, it's like the first couple. I think I did one with Rodri, which was alright because he was my mate, but also I was still a bit like right, it's in person. I got to sort of think about where I am and stuff, and it just it was different. But then now because I do them probably at least one a week, if not a couple, I find it quite easy, and I'm a lot more used to just meeting people I haven't mm. met before and stuff. Which I think I you're just, just getting a bit of a yeah. rhythm, don't you? You're getting your own sort of rhythm. 
But um, yeah, the company is great. I, I love doing it now. I mean, I'm real busy with it. Probably, I probably could work every During weekend. Weekends, yeah. I could I could do it every every weekend now. Probably like, at least probably uh, like I was in Ireland recently, and I had uh, three different messages of three different people drew commentary on this the Saturday night on different shows when I was in Ireland. So I couldn't do it anyway. But uh, yeah, it's really busy. I'm, I'm That's good that you've obviously built up a reputation whereby people happy we work they trust you and they know if you're you know, in the area or whatever or you're free you'll well yeah i mean i, I don't know why i mean i was telling this speaking to one of the guys in, in your, the office out here that um like i do quite a lot of commentary now in your hall in london yeah i mean it's funny that you got me Such there. a historic place isn't it yeah and also <laughs> the funny thing is you got me there doing commentary you got um jonathan millard i don't know if you know jonathan he's an mc yeah from i think he's from monmouth way so he's welsh as well he's in the ring doing the mc and you got ali drew the female um reporter if you like she's obviously from Newbridgeway, and so she's just Welsh full of welsh people over, yeah. and i'm thinking why well i don't know i mean it's great for us but uh yeah i must be doing something right i suppose but uh yeah that's good it's good though like i look around like mma and boxing and i think um the welsh scene is quite special at the moment in terms of some of the fighters which are coming up um but also the people Sort of behind the scenes, the ring announcers like Ricky Wright was there mm. on Saturday, and then um, we got Huel Chaplin as well. Like, but it was funny. I walked in on Saturday to the thing, and um, I was like, "Oh, there's Ricky there. Oh, there's," and I just seen all these people who I knew, and I was like, oh, this, "I didn't," because I, I just it hadn't kind of clicked. I knew I might see mm. Gary because I knew he had a fight um, on the show, but I hadn't really sort of thought. Uh, and then I saw Brandon. Um, Scott, I put a podcast out that yeah. day with him, and yeah, he's, he's a lovely guy. He's, I really got a lot of time for Brandon. For yeah, someone I, so young, you've got his head screwed on. Yeah. I remember actually being told about Brandon when he was still amateur that he's went to mm. keep an eye on the phone. Obviously, well, he's doing well, good things at the moment. He's still got a long way to go. So yeah, he's a clever boy, though, isn't he? Like he's, um, he got attention at the right time from Eddie Hearn and yeah. Match Room. With he's got a build in his... Uh, it's interesting to note, and I mean, uh, it's, again, it's, it's supposed to be a nightmare for fighters these days because... You get people maybe like me, I guess. I I don't like fighters, and they give they try too hard to get publicity. Yeah. I, I find it yeah. sort of a bit cringy. But Brandon, he seems to find a natural. And seems to flow very good for him. Yet on the the last Joe Cordina fight in the the motor point in Cardiff, Brandon was the only guy of the the undercard. I think on the there wasn't televised to be actually interviewed after the fight because obviously he built his personality up. Yeah. Again, like you know, his, his interviews go viral for his various comments at the press conferences. Yeah. So it must be like a nightmare for a fight to find in the balance between. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, forward, by law, 18 plus, terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Between, between getting the publicity and so being a bit cringe with you, I guess. Yeah, yeah it, is, it is difficult, I think, for the fighters because you can't just, unfortunately, which I think you know, traditional boxing fans, MMA fans, would prefer probably. And the hardcore fans would prefer fighters to be build their name on their ability yeah. to fight. It just doesn't work like that. I know. I, 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 I put on I put on Facebook a few times on social media, 
like every time we have a big press conference now, it's always some sort of pushing or shoving or slanging match. Oh, and then as soon as the fight finishes, the best of friends yeah. straight but away, I mean, instantly. But I get it. I understand they're doing it because they're the, they're the videos that'll get publicity. They're the ones that'll yeah. get pay-per-view. They're the ones that'll get their names up in lights and on us, like people like us talking about them. Yeah, yeah the guys who just shake hands. It just feels a bit manufactured sometimes, doesn't it? Where, oh, it's like, definitely manufactured. You can I mean, literally I... call it like the shoving match, bit of a couple of insults, yeah. have a fight, and then as soon as the final bell goes. And I'm not saying that you want to see like nastiness after, you know, after the fight's gone, but it does feel like you've been sold a ticket almost. Mm. Certainly the first couple of times you see it or saw it, and then now I kind of like it. There's a couple of times I've like, um, like like you were saying there. There's there's these manufactured grudges, and then there's been a few fights where I know the fighters don't particularly like each other, but yeah. for whatever reason, they, they just don't they unpublicized yeah. it, and you know they may be shaking hands. And it's almost like they hate each other so much they can't even engage in that's crazy in yeah. banter about it. Yeah. So they just shake hands at the press conference, ignore each other. Probably because they would say anything, any of the little insults. Then they become a lot more personal, don't they? Yeah. If you don't like each other. Like it's just a general insult becomes a bit more personal and a bit it just cuts through a bit, doesn't mm. it? Whereas if you're doing it just to publicise the fight and yeah. cause a bit of a stir, it don't really matter what you say to me or what I say to you because we we know why we're doing it. Mm. Whereas if we dislike each other, something mundane yeah. gets through a bit, doesn't it? I suppose. But yeah, just, it's so interesting. So, yeah, just on the commentary, I was going to mention it because um, a few people have asked me and it gets brought up on Twitter now and again. Me and Enzo Macronelli, I don't know if you saw Enzo's posted this a few times, but we were doing commentary on, it was an S4C show. Okay. So I was, we were doing the English commentary, because I don't speak Welsh, unfortunately. But um, So me and Enzo were doing the commentary on, a, it was actually, it was a pre-recorded fight, but we were doing the commentary off the TV monitor in front of ah, us. Ah, okay. So it was when, they, when, they, when they, the main fights finished early, so we were doing the commentary. So it was live on television, but off a TV screen in front of us. Yeah. So we were doing the commentary on the fight. Um... And then a guy comes up, leads over the barrier, and says to Enzo, "How did you? How well, he's been a bit aggressive to him. Said, mm. how the hell did you score that fight for um, Morgan Jones? It was actually after the Morgan Jones Jake Anthony fight that most people thought that Jake Anthony won, including Enzo, including me. But Morgan Jones got the verdict. Mm. So for some reason, this and the guy was a Jake Anthony fan. Mm. For some reason, he thought Enzo was a judge, not a commentator. So he started having a right go at Enzo in the, in between the commentary." While you were doing the commentary, while we were doing the commentary live match. on SOC, oh. so he's on a right go on Enzo, thinking Enzo, and Enzo was saying to him, like, and, and there's a break there, an ad, an, uh, an ad break, so Enzo was able to turn around and talk to him. I said, Look, I'm one, I'm not a judge, two, I thought I thought your guy won, yeah. but for some reason, and three, well, like, live yeah, on we're TV, live on, innit? yeah, and uh, but this guy for some reason just could mm. not get into his head that, but, but that's the thing, he didn't even seem drunk, he just didn't seem, he just, just seemed, seemed angry, yeah, just seemed angry. That his guy had lost, and he felt he should have won. But we both, me and Enzo, both agreed with him. We said, "Wait, we, we think, we think your guy won as well." And then the, the adverts, fin- the adverts finished, so the, the the fight was back live on TV. Enzo was still arguing with this guy, or the guy was arguing with Enzo. Enzo was pretty cool about it, really, considering the guy was being aggressive. So I was trying with the commentary, and this mm-hmm. argument was <laughs> taking place just over my shoulder. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was one of those surreal moments. Uh, Enzo was like pressing the mute button on his mic. Yeah. <laughs> at this point, Enzo, I don't think he really cared yeah. about the this guy. But was he did. It's got trying to trying to do your thing, commentating and stuff, do your job in it. And yeah. he's got some guy like <laughs> someone like, should someone's got to move him eventually. Especially bear in mind, like Enzo probably could have yeah, knocked him into the middle of the next week with a flick, flick of his finger, probably. But 
Oh, he, I, he, was, he handled it pretty well, Enzo, to be fair to him. Yeah, I like Enzo a lot. I've, um, I spoke to him a couple of times over messages, and um, I'm hoping, like, once his schedule opens up a bit, he's going to come down and stuff. Cause yeah, he's a very, very busy guy, Enzo. Yeah. He's difficult to pin down for interviews and that type of thing. Yeah, no, and in fairness to him, I think I tweeted him just, and we didn't follow each other, or I followed him, but he didn't follow me, and I just, you know, just t- tweeted him and said, oh, do your thing. Really like, you know, big fan, like to get you on. Didn't expect a reply. I just sort of forgot about it. And then he in my DMs and just mm. said, oh, I will come down is down Cardiff. Um, I just don't know when, yeah. but I will. And he just seems like this kind of guy who, and I've had a couple of guys like that who've said, yes, but I can't do it now, but I, I definitely yeah, will. He'd be a great guy to have because he's such, he's such, such a knowledge, story, knowledgeable guy and he mm. no, uh, knows boxing, so absolutely loves boxing. He's, he's one of those guys, Enzo, He'd say himself, if, if he's allowed to, he'd be fighting until he's 100. He just loves yeah. boxing so much, loves competing so much. Yeah, and like I, I enjoy speaking to people, whatever they do, whether it's boxing, football, music, films, whatever. Like I just enjoy speaking to people who are passionate about what they do. Because you, you can feel it in them when they're talking about it, and you can feel it about when they're telling stories and, and sort of relating to it. It's, uh, I just enjoy that. I think it's infectious isn't it mm. and i think um he seems like a guy who's very in love yeah. with boxing and it's good that he can still be involved in it i think as well because i think you know historically fighters some fighters do struggle when they finish and i think for the most part if you can stay involved in some form yeah i think enzo was lucky in that he was already involved in amateur boxing yeah when he was still fighting so when his career has come to an end like he, he, always, he always threatens a comeback but I think he has sort of said he's not coming mm. back now but um, the, the the move into full time training was fairly seamless because he already had that whereas a lot of boxers they retire they don't really need to train anymore after you know, years of dieting years of training and then just there's a huge vacuum mm. that they can't fill yeah it's tricky like why do you think so many struggle with that return to uh, for lack of a better term civilian life of I just think it's just just that reason that, that, that if you're um it's if, very if you're a boxer, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you've got to make a weight unless you're a heavyweight. You've got to make a weight. So you've got to cut your weight. So you're spending like large periods, months of your life dieting. So you, you know, and your life revolves around dieting. You know, you just real limits what you can do. Limits if you go out on the weekend. Limits if you go for a meal with your missus. Limits if you go out a few beers, watch a football with the boys on the weekend. Yeah. So that takes over your life, and then you got the training on top of it, and then the fighting. But then when you retire. You haven't got to do these things, so but but this has consumed up so much of your time in your previous life as a fighter. Then all of a sudden you've got this massive vacuum where you aren't going to be running in the mornings, you aren't going to be dieting, you can eat and drink as much as you want, and there's just this huge amount of time you've got in your hands. Yeah. And if you haven't got a hobby or such, or if you haven't got anything else to do that, and boxing was the only thing you were doing, then there's just a massive. You find yourself with a massive amount of time. So I suppose that competitive edge as well, isn't it? Like I think there's a. Um, Danny Batten who I used to do the sort of MMA and boxing show but mainly MMA show with he um, was like a world champion and stuff and he now he, you know, he's got his own gym and he trains fighters and stuff but I think um, he said one of the biggest things he missed was the, the that just that com- getting ready to compete and, mm. and competing and yeah. when you take that away you become very frustrated very quickly mm. because you almost haven't got an output for your yeah. Your energy naturally, mm. so it's interesting because you know obviously historically many boxers have struggled after. Yeah, um, I think as well some boxers feel 
they just didn't quite achieve what they wanted to achieve. And even guys who won world titles, they're still frustrated because they maybe wanted to win another world title or a certain fight didn't happen that they wanted to have. So it was sort of bugging them in the back of their head. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's the same for anyone in it with like ifs and buts, and mm. you can look back and find stuff. But ultimately, I think sometimes we focus not too much on. Not, of course, we should. I'm not saying like we shouldn't focus on the ones who have struggled because we should. And, we, and there's obviously places like Ringside Trust and that who try and yeah, help charity. these guys. Um, but like, also, I think we should focus on the guys who have been able to, you know, go on and do good things after boxing. And I, yeah. like, I look at at uh, Gary Lockett's coming here a couple of times, and I see like he's in the gym every day, and he's in unbelievable shape, and like, you know, he's training the next generation sort of mm-hmm. thing. And I think he does a lot of work. With, I think with Sky, I think is it Sky or is it the other uh, Box Nation? He does yeah, Sky, I think it's well. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen Gary on Sky for for a while, but I think yeah, he does like the BBC shows and the SOC yeah. shows. He's their go-to guide. Yeah, and I think that's good, isn't it? Like I like seeing. He's very articulate, Gary. You know, yes, he's yes. very intelligent guy. You know, he, he speaks very well, comes across very well, and like look, you said, I mean, it's great to see him do well after boxing. But you know, like Gary, Gary might be slightly different, and well, he'll tell me when he sees me next if he mm. watches this. But I think when he retired from boxing, he was ready to retire. Yeah. Like he'd reached the end of his. He, had, he didn't. He didn't have much ambition left. He fought for world middleweight title. Probably very unlucky to fight Kelly Pavlik, who mm. at the time was. Kelly Pavlik wasn't great for a, a long period of time, but when Gary fought him, he was probably at the peak of his powers. Yeah. So he's so unlucky. Gary's very unlucky with that respect, fighting such a good guy right at the top of his game. But when Gary retired, he was ready to retire. No, mm. I think he, he made decent money. Um, I think he invested it very well, and he was he was ready to to leave yeah. the game. Whereas a lot of fighters, they're not, and not they're not content. He's take he's forced, isn't it? Sometimes. Yeah. Like I mean, Gary could have gone the other way, man, because he, he could Gary in. Gary would be fair to think if if I hadn't fought Pavlik, the Pavlik had held all the middleweight titles and he fought Gary, but I only think he fought for the, maybe the WO at the time. I mean, boxing, you know, it's like there's like four champions, sometimes yeah. more than at the weight division, whereas Gary fought for the title when there was only one champion, and he happened to be pretty awesome as well. Mm. So, I mean, Gary could be bitter about it, but he's not. He seems very content with yeah. what he achieved. So, in terms of, I mentioned, like, whilst boxing and MMA, I feel is quite exciting at the moment when I look around. And Kane Shepherd uh, on Saturday, I've been impressed with him. That's mm. really impressed. He seems impressed with the way he carries himself as well. Like I watched him when he came out after his fight to sort of talk to you know his friends, his fans, and whatever. He seems really approachable. Seems like a nice guy. Um, no, no, but I think that's the way. Just to make a point there, I think boxers have got to be like that, especially guys coming up because they're the guys who are buying tickets off you. They're the guys yeah. who basically get you on the next show. If you, you've got to be able to sell tickets. You just reminded me of something I wanted to ask you about yeah. because um, something which I find I word this frustrating within the world of professional boxing is that you've got like young boxers um, in a lot of cases they don't sell their tickets they don't get on the shows do they? Mm. Oh. Which I only found out like in you know in recent years and I just couldn't believe that that was a case because. You know, there's some fighters who sell tickets very well and all their friends and family will buy them and, you know, they've got a following. But if you're kind of a small family and you've got a small circle mm. and whatever it may be, you're quite a private person or yeah. whatever, it doesn't make you less of a boxer. Yeah. But if you struggle to sell those tickets, you might not get on shows. Yeah. Like, how well, do you feel about that? Well, when I was, um, as I mentioned earlier, doing the photography, uh, I was doing a lot of shows in Newport and... There was one, I won't mention his name, but there's mm. one particular fighter who wasn't really that good, really. 
but he'd always seem to be boxing on all the shows. I was like, why, why is this guy fighting? And he's not particularly exciting either. Mm. I know he's always okay. But he always seems to be on the shows. And I, I don't, couldn't quite work out why. And then someone pointed out the reason he's on the shows, he, he can sell an absolute shed load of tickets. And his other guys, probably more talented than this individual, who, just because they, they can't sell tickets for whatever reason, they don't go on shows. Yeah. Um, it's obviously, I think, boxing's a broken broken sport in many ways, and that's just one example of it. But sometimes having the talent isn't enough. Yeah, like, up until I found that out a couple of years ago, like, I just assumed that you would sort of get to a certain level and then you'd just work your way up by winning to bigger cards. Yeah. And I think most people assume that. Yeah. And um, it's quite... I think it's gone so far. I, 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 but then again, I, I can understand from a promoter's point of view that they're investing a lot of money in a show. They've got, they got to pay course, for the venue. Yeah, they got to pay for the, the officials. they got to pay for the various different things. So I can understand that they, they want to make sure they don't lose money. Of course. But I do think it's got to a point now where promoters are not promoting and not yeah. all promoters, some of them do, and it's not easy for them because quite often promoters will organise a press conference and sometimes the boxers won't turn up. So then the promoters sitting there, maybe one fighter, and there's should be like ten fighters on the card, only yeah. one guy's turned up. So it is a bit of give and take. But I do think there is more certain promoters could be doing to promote their events and their fighters and make, make it a little bit easier for the fighters. Yeah, and I mean ultimately the promoters got to promote it, and I think, but like you say, then it is I think the job of the fighters and their teams to try and promote it as well for their fighters sake for the sake of the show just coming up and stuff but yeah it's uh, it's interesting in terms of the overall scene which i was referring to just a minute ago before i thought of that question was um what fighters are you most excited about on the boxing side of things at the moment like fighters coming up that people maybe don't know about um well that's a minefield of a question because I just know from past experience I'll mention some fighters and I'll miss someone. I'll miss somebody out and somebody will be upset and then they'll they'll uh, oh we could phrase it another way and just say like who's um, caught I your think, eye I think in, 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 in Welsh boxing at the moment it's a bit of a transitional phase because you've got obviously Joe Cordina sitting at the top of the pile as world champion um, I, I don't know I mean I think Joe said he might have three or four more fights in him so I mean he's not going to be he pops around for another year or two I mean, that, that, that always changes, of course. I mean, boxers often say they're going to retire, and they don't. Um, if you've got Joe, you know, head and shoulders of his rest, you've got like Liam Williams, who's on world title level as well. I mean, he's desperate for a fight. Why, why, hasn't, why if some promoter hasn't signed him up and, and mm. building the shows around Liam? I don't know, because he's a massive ticket seller. Always in exciting fights. Um, doesn't make no sense, does it? Yeah, I mean, he's he's so frustrated he can't get a, a big fight. But I guess with Liam as well, man, he's, he's a very dangerous fighter. For, any, for anyone, and that's why people don't want to fight them. But as I, I've said this to lots of people now, why a promoter doesn't get Liam? He'd, he'd probably sell out the most smallish arenas, a couple of thousand seat arenas, just by himself, mm. and then build the card, build a card around him. So you got Liam, and then the good guys like Gavin Gwynn, and then there's a bit of a sort of a gap then between there's up and coming guys. There's like a, a big group of up and coming guys who who had sort of between. You know, a couple of fights and sort of ten fights. So just waiting for that next step up again to fight for like regional titles, like Welsh area titles or Celtic titles, like um, Kieran Gethin fought for mm. on the weekend. So there's, a, I think, what boxing is going through a transitional phase at the moment. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Gav Gwyn. I, I, I may be biased because he's my friend, but like, <laughs> um, I'm a massive fan of him as a fighter as well. I, I excite, I think he excited fighters, and I think. Since sort of just after COVID, where he was, uh, you've seen a change in him. 
where he was able to dedicate mm. full time to it. Like you can see where it was gone from. Well, he's very talented, isn't he? To now he looks like a champion mm. and he looks like someone who's going to go somewhere. Like when you put yourself at sort of as a, a neutral, if you like, where do you see his sort of ceiling? Do you think he's good enough to keep sort of working up them ranks? He was. Um, yeah, he seems to have re well not reinvented himself because he does fight very, very he's fight fought the whole way he's the same style his whole career but he's like I said when he's allowed himself to dedicate 100% of his time to training he's a better Garvin Gwynn and the, with the way he fights he's very aggressive high output he's always got to be super fit and the fitter yeah. he is and the stronger he is the better he is just for his style and actually you mentioned Garvin he was that first show I did the commentary on in Hereford Garvin was one of the Welsh boxers nah, okay. boxing on it so I commentated on that fight with Gavin and I commentated on his 2015 um, senior Welsh final so that was for me in Cardiff TV as well yeah. when he boxed in Safari Gardens so yeah and I know Gavin fairly well yeah, from the yeah. amateur ranks he's a great example of someone just making the most of what he's got yeah and I mean, he's, he's, yeah he works hard but he also does the, the he publicises himself very well he's always open to interviews he text Gavin now and he'll do an interview yeah um and he's got some good, good guys behind. Yeah, he's a real nice guy, nice family, and he got um, he got a guy Phil Wheelie. Um, yeah. I think he does loads for Garvin behind the scenes and secures sponsorships and takes a lot of the pressure off him. Deals with his ticket side of things. It's what you need, yeah. Yeah, Phil does a great job for Garvin. And Garvin knows that. Garvin thanks him a lot. Phil, I, I need a guy like that. I sponsorship <laughs> for me. I, I, I yeah, sponsorship it. is a nightmare. I mean, a lot of I think people say I, I should get a sponsor for my YouTube channel, but yeah. like oh. It's, but I think people don't realize how much like I know it sounds it sounds almost lazy, but like it's it's not lazy. It's so much, um, like chasing at an effort and yeah. Um, I just don't like asking people basically. But I think with it, with them, it's, it's probably different for you. Well, it is different for you because you were putting out constant um content, like a, but like with a my schedule, I suppose. And yeah, you can offer have you someone. Got a weekly schedule. No, I mean I, I just I put stuff on my YouTube channel when sort of well like I filmed an amateur boxing show on Friday night and that all I went on the YouTube channel whereas yeah. I might not put anything on there for weeks. Mm. So for a sponsor, like I did have a good sponsor for a while, and I sort of guaranteed him. I can't remember was so many views, and I'd have to be out then. Yeah. So that dictates, but obviously when busy doing other things, I stand with the time to dedicate that now so yeah the frustrating thing for me i find with it is um a lot of sponsors so like uh, at my level where it's, it's doing all right but it's not like big mm. is a lot of the sponsors particularly the bigger brands they'll want they'll do like oh yeah you you promote us and you make an ad for us and you do the work for us mm -hmm. and then if whoever buys the product then we'll pay you yeah and it's yeah. like so I'm doing all the work, yeah, and, and you're effectively just getting the benefit of it, and it feels a bit like that. But a couple of the smaller businesses which I've worked with, not just in Wales, but in the UK, like they've been much better in terms of, they're like, no, no, we'll provide the ad, or if you do an ad mm. read, we'll chuck you a bit on top, and they yeah. paid for the slot rather than the potential. Yeah, and I yeah. think that's what you should, because you, you're working for it, isn't it? and it feels very much like the, I won't name brand, but there was a brand which I had for a bit, and they weren't happy with just like um, you know an ad read and mm. read the code and talk about the product. They wanted me to film something with certain graphics and videos and little clips yeah. in, and I was like, well, that's a few hours yeah, so editing, voiceover, recording, and it's like 
Alright, it might only be a few hours, but it's still a few mm. hours of my time. Yeah, yeah. Which you're course, yeah. you're telling me I might yeah. be paid for. Yeah. So it feels a bit Yeah, so it is frustrating that is because I'm I feel like I'm like on the brink of sort of I need a little bit more growth mm. to, to hit that sort of point where and again my other problem is like a lot of the sponsors who I speak to, like local businesses and stuff, they're quite often people I know or I'm familiar mm. with. And then they're like, well, how much is it to sponsor? And you're like, well, this is my price sheet. Mm. But you almost feel like you should be like bringing it down for them. Or yeah, you, you like, want to give them rates. Yeah. And I find it very difficult. I'd rather almost negotiate with a stranger. Because then yeah, so like if you just keep it purely business. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, I, what I did in the one case was I just said, look, this is the sheet. It said, it is what it is. Mm. But I said, if you wanted to sign up for a longer period, then we'll bring it yeah. like right down. Yeah, like um, yeah. You f- you find out you have friends. I think in boxing, you, you everyone knows someone. So you always yeah. it's like a very sort of small community, and people do sometimes expect something for nothing. They'll especially yeah. with video, with, with video and photography. Yeah, they just I've, like you, you wouldn't say to a build, you wouldn't say to a builder, go and build me a wall for free. Yeah, yeah. if you're a photographer or a videographer, then other people will go to you. Oh, can you just do this video for me? Mm-hmm. I said, well, yeah, okay, well, it's going to cost you. Yeah, I, they, I was asked to film someone's, um, not a wedding, like a, like, vow renewal type mm. thing. And they were willing to do it for free. Yeah, well, there's a guy, a mountain biker, quite well known. I know he wanted me to do this video on him. I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. And we was back and forth, just messaging, how are we going to do it? So I just said, oh, it seems you're an up and coming guy. You know, I don't want to help out. I'll only charge you. I said amount, which is not very much. Mm. And he was like, oh, I'm not paying that much. I think well, this, this, I'm literally I'm not even making any money on this. Up a day, like yeah, well, but yeah, it would have been like a lot of editing, like mm-hmm. hours and hours of editing and filming. No, like, my equipment's worth like thousands of pounds. Yeah, and you you be literally expecting it for nothing, and you, you almost you almost thought you'd do me a favour. <laughs> yeah, I see a lot. I see a lot of people, photographers, get taken advantage of a lot from people they know. Yeah. And like co- co- copyright law as well. I mean, that's out the window these days with with social media and the internet. Like pictures that get ripped off now. Like I see loads of my pictures pop up on various different things. Exactly. I've seen like um some of my footage as well popped up on quite big organisations which should at least ask you permission before you use them. But I've had um, that's one thing I try to do. If I use anyone's footage or pictures, I always contact them yeah. first just for courtesy. Yeah, it's like yeah, someone who was it? I can't someone like clipped about one of the interviews done with a footballer and put it on his YouTube channel. And I was like, just send me a message. I, yeah. I didn't, you know, I'm not the sort of person to say, you know, you've got to pay me or something like that. I might if you were Sky Sports or yeah. something, but yeah. just some other guy doing his thing on YouTube, I wasn't bothered, but I just thought it was a bit naughty because you are then just using someone else's work to... Yeah, i got a good story for you then. I haven't thought, I haven't said a story for a long time. When... when when I was working for Made in Cardiff TV, I did an interview with um, Lee Selby when he was before when he was fighting Gradovich. Gradovich was a champion, Lee Selby was a challenger at the time. So I did an interview with Lee Selby about the fight, interview with his trainer Tony Borg about the fight, and interviewed Guy Lockett, who we've already mentioned, about the fight. Um for no, for Made in Cardiff TV. And Made in Cardiff TV wouldn't pay me very much money, but I was happy just because I was you know, interviewing boxers, yeah. so you see stuff on TV, so it's great. So I was there one day at home and um Interview pops up in BBC Wales. I said, oh, okay. In boxing, okay. I said, oh, God. I said, Lee Selby, wow, he's done this interview with the BBC in exactly the same spot mm. 
same camera angle. Exactly, same thing. Oh, he's exactly same closing. A guy rocket pops up on TV. He's like, well, bloody hell, Gary's sitting in as well. Basically, made a Cardiff TV. I'd give them the footage, all my footage, to BBC Wales, and they just broadcast it without yeah. paying me a penny. Yeah, well, they probably made in Cardiff. Probably well, I'm guessing made in Cardiff, even though I didn't have no written contract with made in Cardiff TV. So. Still your footage, isn't it? Oh, it's my footage, yeah, definitely. But uh, there was. Yeah, so just uh, took like a heads up and a. Yeah, there it was. <laughs> no, BBC, national broadcaster, multi million pound organisation. Use my interview with Selby, Gary, and Tony Borg, and uh, I didn't. But didn't tell me. I would have known if, if I had something yeah, watching the midday news That's that day. That's poor. That is, isn't it? That's really poor. Like, yeah, but uh, I can't believe it. It's again. Saxon closes when I interviewed him. Did you ask him about it? Yeah, I messaged. I spoke to one of the guys I made in Cardiff TV, and they just said, "Oh, we got some sort of deal with BBC where we had them out if they can help us out type thing." Mm. I'm glad you got that deal with BBC, but I yeah, haven't. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't get a penny out of it. I know. I mean, I, I don't deal they had, but they they had the better end of the deal because I know much made in Cardiff was paying me, and that, that wasn't very much. Mm. But yeah. then are they still growing made in Cardiff? No, it's a shame really because it, it could have been an absolutely brilliant channel for. I mean, this is the stupid thing. Made in Cardiff TV did a sports show. Um, what was it called now? Some quirky name, left field, right pitch, which I don't think is a very good name for a sports show anyway. But but they they were focusing on like grassroots sport, which is mm. great, but. They should have been focusing also on the big, like we got Cardiff Blues, or Cardiff Rugby now, isn't it? Yeah. Cardiff Blues at the time, big, big organisation. Cardiff City, again, no people love Cardiff City, no maybe Glamorgan that's Cricket. Gonna, that's what's going to bring people yeah, in. Who bring the viewers in, but, but they were just totally focusing on yeah. kids' sport. Which so is very, like... Niche, I mean, yeah, unless yeah. it's your kid on TV, your you, you're not going to be interested in watching. Yeah. And I was the only one, I was like interviewing Guy Lockett's fighters, Tony Borg's fighters, and whoever else, Steve Robinson, I'd done it with, was, was pretty good. Mm. When I was interviewing guys like that. I, I was the only one providing any sort of yeah, high level yeah. content yeah. for their show. So then they wondered why then that no one's watching it. Because unless it's little Johnny, who's your kid it's on yeah, TV, yeah. you're not you're particularly not bothered, interested yeah. in watching. So I, it, um, it was just a wasted opportunity, really. It could have been a really good local channel, and it's a shame, really. Yeah, it was. Uh, I had this weird. Uh, I'll have to dig it out and see where I still got it. So I had a message um, a good couple of years ago when we were doing a show with Andy and we used to have a different foot. Someone from football every Monday, and it was just a different player. And some, a lot of them were like Cardiff based, but it was from everywhere. We had current players, everything. It was quality because it was like you got to see footballers that you never see them. They mm. weren't in media mode, they were yeah. just relaxed and chatting. And they were taking, you know, we'd ask them live questions from the people watching and stuff. And it was, like I said earlier, it was, it was gathering pace. It was really good. We got signed by the Sports Social uh, Podcast Network, which I still, oh, right, I'm cool. still signed with them now. And um, I had this weird message of this guy. I'd, I'd have to try and dig it out one day. Um, and he said, um, would you be willing to put the Andy Campbell football show on Made in Cardiff TV? But he had no, um, like in his bio, he had no friends or anything. Like it was all sort of, mm. like maybe it was it's super just, private yeah. or whatever, I don't know. But normally, if someone messages you, you can have a look at yeah. their private their profile, and you can sort of yeah, see a bit sort of about them. Yeah, yeah. And he had nothing in it, you know, like right. made in Cardiff producer or something mm. like that. He had nothing like that. And then, um, yeah, he said, "Oh, would you be interested in doing?" And I said, oh, "Well, we don't. You know, we'd obviously be interested and have a conversation, mm. but we wouldn't give it for you know, we wouldn't yeah. just give you our series for free, sort of thing." And he said, "Oh, I'll have to get back to you." And he never got back to mm. me. And it was such a weird thing because I thought it was very strange. To message me on Facebook anyway, mm. 
But then I thought, well, what's the benefit of yeah. like someone think, pretending to do it? Like I it think didn't when make they started out, me. I mean, I, I could be wrong on this, but I think when they started out, they were getting so much funding from I think it was maybe BBC perhaps or maybe SBC. And then the idea was, as the funding went down, their advertising revenue went up. Okay. But just because they had poor sports shows, just for example, well, I thought it was poor anyway, sports shows, it just didn't, that never happened. So as the, as the revenue went down from the BBC or whatever it was, giving them money, the advertising yeah. revenue never went up. Mm. And then obviously got to a point where... It was I think they missed the boat. Yeah, definitely. Was, um, and like, you know, we... We used to do between sort of five thousand, ten thousand views, like live on mm. a Monday night, and then we'd have probably similar numbers in downloads after that. And it's like, I'm sure Made in Cardiff wasn't getting probably a great deal more than that. Probably like, a lot less, I would say. Yeah. So it's like I could see that, and I think in some ways, like TV channels are being a bit slow to catch up now because more people that I there was an article about um, if they, which I was reading the other week. More people are watching things on YouTube now than yeah. they do on TV. I don't even watch live TV. Me, I, mm-hmm. I, the only live TV I watch is football, cricket. Yeah, that's the same. Yeah. And like, I think TV channels have almost been a bit slow. Some of them are starting to bring it in. I noticed on um, Sky now they've got some of the guys who used to be doing like different YouTube shows. They're doing like segments mm. in the different football packages and stuff yeah. they do, which I think is clever because it's one of the kids. You know, like our, my kids, age, yeah. our, our kids, that's what they watch. Like, yeah. it makes sense. But, um, and I I don't think, I, th- I think like Sky also missed the boat on doing or having like a Sky Sports podcast channel or something on YouTube mm. and getting some of the, there's some incredible like football podcasts out there. For yeah, instance. I think a problem that like big or big broadcasters have like sky just for example mm. since you mentioned them is that they got certain standards they got to keep to yeah whereas like well on my youtube channel there's no there's no off call yeah of course yeah, yeah, yeah no. and there's no one telling me what to do or telling me i gotta cut it a certain way or edit it or yeah that's me certain light or certain sound standards i just do whatever you want yeah no and i i get that i just think you've got to move with the times as well oh, definitely, and i yeah, think yeah. when you look at some of these video podcasts and on youtube and stuff like the you know the standard is incredible like mm. i'm I mean, even these now, you know, this is like... Yeah, you've got a great set of beer, definitely. It's, you know, it's... I don't know. I just think TV channels and small channels, going back to Made in Cardiff, I think it was a bit of a missed opportunity mm. because there's a lot of content creators within South Wales yeah. who were very talented, very good, which they could have hitched their boat a little bit to that, even if they start off at late night, yeah. just to, you know, see, what it, see, mm. see if it develops. And then also, like, your stuff have that in other sports yeah send someone like me or whoever yeah to I mean, do it with footballers or you again know I, mean? I, I produced the um 2015 amateur boxing finals for made in cardiff tv yeah i mean that was really good i mean again that's probably one of the best in terms of viewing figures shows they had because i had like loads of people messaging me about how they watch it and that type of thing but it, it was hard because I, I almost had to force them to take it they, they weren't yeah. like very keen but it just seems, I think it was, I don't know, maybe run by Someone old men who were doing things the old understand. way. Yeah, and I think that's, un- unfortunately, I think probably part of the problem, isn't mm. it? But, um, do you know, going back to how you said earlier about the when you sold that to that KOTV, mm. um, and then they asked you to do further work, yeah. I think part of the, half the battle, and 
I would compare it to now because it is different now to what it was then. Yeah. And there's there's so much content creation, podcast, videos, whatever it may be. And you'll see like videos of tactical analysis of football and stuff like that. And it's so high level, but it's just some guy yeah. in his room who he's turned his spare room. Over, yeah. yeah. Turned his spare room into a studio and he's got a green screen and mm. like so there there is a massive saturation. But I think I still believe that even now Half the battle is just getting your foot in the door or the, the right person just seeing a clip yeah. of yours or a show. 100%. Because like, once you've got that foot in the door, you can then go. Like with with KOTV, just go back to that. I was lucky, like if, if you said someone, because now it's different, like some, as you mentioned just there, that some of the, the online broadcasters are in higher regard than the TV broadcasters. Yeah. Whereas back then, like 12, 13 years ago, it was, if I'd have phoned up Ricky Hatton, let's just say, for example, or Ricky. Um, I, I, I couldn't, do you mind if I do an interview with me? Who are you? I work for an internet channel. Chance I basically know. But as well yeah. time, I said, Ricky Hart, and I work for KOTV Boxing. It's on Channel 4. Do an interview? Yeah, great. No problem. Whereas now it's gone the other way. Whereas <laughs> the, the internet providers, as you were saying, they they got higher viewing figures than the TV channels. Yeah. And I was just lucky that they got in with KOTV. I managed to find the producer's number online somewhere, rang it, and just got lucky. But I won't say got lucky because I had to work, on, no, work for it, but I just took the opportunity and yeah and sometimes you, see, you find those opportunities sometimes mm. they come to you and i mean like with the initial thing you said with the may uh pacquiao and uh hat and fight mm. like taking that chance and yeah kind of getting that day out led on to other yeah. stuff it's like interesting well, isn't it another funny story from the times room kotv i emailed the way it normally work i just emailed the producer and say look i can interview so and so i'll give him a list of fighters and they'll say yes, no, yes, whatever. So then I try and contact the fighters through like gyms. The trainers normally, if you go through the promoters, it's a bit more difficult, but the trainers normally. But I, I got hold of Chris Eubanks, Chris Eubanks Jr.'s um, agent's number. So I emailed him, I went to interview for KOTV Boxing. So he got my emails back and forth, and nothing really happened. So anyways, walk out of Tesco's in my stake, phone ringing, didn't recognize the number, but answered it. Chris Eubank Jr. and the phone up to sort out this interview for KOTV. Because at the time, wow. he was a nobody, well, not nobody, but he was Coming up. just Chris Eubank's son. I think he might have had two or three fights at the time. So I had Chris U- I was trying to negotiate an interview with Chris Eubank Jr. on the phone, standing in my bag of shopping mm-hmm. outside Tesco's mm-hmm. on my stake. This, uh, yeah. It's yeah. When then, life gets a bit surreal, isn't it? Yeah, it was, well, it was surreal, yeah. Just just talking on the phone with Chris Jr. Then, yeah, it was brilliant. Going down to Brighton then. If I said, if you want me to do an interview, great, but your father has to be there as well. Because, like I said, Junior wasn't really a very big name at the time. Yeah. But that's what KOTV wanted. I'd have happily just gone down and interviewed yeah. Junior. But KOT said, if you want us to do it, if you want us to pay you for it, you have to get Senior there as well. So at the time, Senior hadn't done any interviews for a long, like years. And he only just got back to the UK from Africa. You think he was, he was training someone's national team out there? Okay. So Eubank turned up as well. So Senior turned up. So again surreal just me he how was he um he's as odd in real life as he comes across as he comes across yeah he was he's, he was not it's not an act it's eccentric, just the way he is he? So yeah he's an eccentric and even when the cameras went rolling he was just as mm-hmm. eccentric which was, was good to see actually because it's not because yeah, you know it's not an act yeah no, it's not an act also like same with ricky Arton. ricky Arton's just as you know normal just as normal yeah when the cameras are rolling and the cameras are thing but yeah it was great yeah, yeah. again a surreal moment sitting there yeah, sat and talking to them. Yeah, it's good, doing it? So you know, like when you did the 
will you just you'll just go down with your camera and sort of interview them from behind the camera basically is it yeah that's what you yeah. do yeah and like the old the old camera yeah the, the the light is always the main thing and the audio um yeah just set it up try and get a good spot try and get people to be as quiet as possible but like most people in boxing are really good most people are really friendly yeah. well, i say 99 percent of people and they'll, they'll try and work with you and help you and they're happy to accommodate you the but that but i'm seeing those because there's so many inter, in, internet interviewers if you look at youtube viewers that's yeah. maybe slightly changing now because there's so many people doing it to yeah. the point is perhaps guessing the way a little bit but yeah and back I think then there was there's only wasn't many people doing it yeah and i think the thing is you can't have if you've got a jam gym like mm. like gary's or tony's or whatever like you can't have like different internet people coming in every yeah. day can you just interview I mean, probably a bit luckier in wales because it's a little bit out the way but like i'd imagine in london or Birmingham but, as yeah, well. Yeah, the bigger yeah. cities, Manchester, there's lots of people, big populations. And there's people probably trying to go there yeah. all the time. Um, as we look to sort of the latter end of the of the show today, I want to obviously talk about your, your film, which you made, uh, about James Lilly. Yeah. Um, recently fought for the bare knuckle world title, bare, BKFC world title. Yeah. Didn't quite get the result he uh, was hoping for, well, we were all hoping for, but um, didn't, you know, it didn't... Uh, didn't disappoint in terms of his performance. I thought he was, you know, he's excellent. Did everything he could. Mm. Just fought a very good fight. Yeah, it was really close though. Did you yeah, think, um, I thought it was the the second round. I think it was the only round that was that we could clearly say he went to Palomino. And even then, it was, it was only really that big shot that sort of slightly stiffened James's legs. And James almost seemed. I mean, I've only watched it back once, and it was on my phone, so I, I don't really like watching phones. Bit too small, but so I was in Ireland watching it. Yeah. And he seemed to stiffen his legs, and James was almost in two minds whether to go on the tackle, and maybe and he actually he made, he made the shot look even more powerful than it was. Mm. He got caught in between minds whether to go forward or go back, but it was only that round really. All, all the other rounds I thought really close. Like James was just falling short of the jab. It seemed watching on my phone. Yeah, um, I didn't think he was far off in terms of his performance, but. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. I think, like you say, that one round was the. Yeah, I think it was probably, probably the right the result. But factor. Like, Palomino was a counter, sh- counter puncher, really. So we got James was trying to bait him. With, mm. you no, know, with his jab, just trying to feint, just trying to get the you no know, counter, so he can counter his counter. But, and and he was fighting in obviously Miami as well. Palomino's adopted hometown, so he had to James had to be a more aggressive fighter. Yeah. Um. He, he knew he, he wasn't going to get many favors on the scorecard, so he had to. Maybe I think James is sort of beating himself up about it a little bit, saying he should be more aggressive, but. If it had been more aggressive, he could have walked onto a big shot. So it's easy to say in hindsight. I, I thought it was a brilliant performance by James, and I thought that um, he's proved now that he's in the elite level of absolutely yeah. uh, BKFC, and, absolutely. They, and, they, and they love him in America as well. Yeah, it's amazing. Exactly. They, they absolutely love him in America. Right, that's awesome the respect he gets from the, the American fight fraternity. Yeah, and I think um, the good thing about BKFC at the moment is, you know, he might not get another title shot immediately, but um, there's some big, big names in there to fight. And you know if you can put one of them or two of them away, like you'd be back in the title 
Pedford's yeah. a really, it just depends on where he wants to go next, I guess. I know when the last time he was in here with me, he was saying, like, he mentioned a couple of names. He was like to, you know, just to be able to say, yeah. like, he fought those guys. But at the end of the day, like, he's, like you said, he's proven that he's in that elite level. Yeah, well, I so think he's... I think he's. Don't just be happy to be there. Go and take the. Yeah, take I mean, those big he's, names. I mean, it's amazing, really, how, how quickly James's career has transformed from, you know, uh, as you see in the film, he didn't if, know what, he was, what he wanted to do, did he? MMA boxing. And yeah, well, I think he, he started doing MMA just because he was getting frustrated with the pro boxing because he wasn't getting fights and the ticket sales, as you already mentioned, and it's, it's even more difficult for guys fighting on Swansea. It's even more di- no, it's difficult for guys in Wales anyway, but it's even more difficult the further west you go. Mm. I think he just started doing MMA just because. Who's guaranteed more fights? Yeah, and then the same with the bare knuckle boxing. But I think he's adapted his style now to he suit bare knuckle boxing. Yeah, he's a, a lot of the bare knuckle boxers in Britain and in America, they still they they still fight like boxers. Mm. But James, he's adapted his style. He throws his punches slightly different from slightly different angles. And no, he, no, like like I said, he's at the elite level now in BKFC, and you know depends how things go. Maybe some titles may become vacant or you no. Know, Palomino just wants big fights now, so he may vacate his title. Yeah. I don't know. And yeah, I think James, if that title becomes um, vacated, he's going to be in the conversation straight yeah. away. And also, like I said before, if he's not and he ends up fighting one of the bigger names and he's just able to get the win, he's back in that conversation mm-hmm. anyway. So I think I did message him the other day and I said, don't be too disheartened by it because it, it's not like he, you know, he, he knocked you out in the mm-hmm. 10 seconds or whatever and... Yeah. You kind of, everyone still questions whether you're at that level. You, yeah, I mean that was elite level bare boxing. Mm. So with the film, the Warrior Poet, um, that's on your YouTube channel. Yeah, it's free to watch. Um, I just want to shout out to our sponsors. Yeah, go on, go on. And Coa Scaffolding, um, they they sponsored the film, so I'm very grateful to them. To uh, basically that allowed me to put the channel, the fight, the the film on YouTube. Okay. Just for everyone to do. Yeah, rather than sort of pay to view or whatever. Yeah, that type of thing. Yeah, just to try and cover some of my costs. So yeah, I'm very grateful for them to step in. So talk to me about how that came about. The idea, the um, just the general, the very early sort of. Well, I made idea of it. I, I made a documentary about a boxer called Ali Cook, um, called The Fight Game. Maybe ten years ago, maybe no less than that. Maybe it's somewhere around the time when Nathan Cleverly fought Kovalev. Anyway, whenever that was. Mm. Um, so I made that film. Um, it's, it's still online. I, people say to me all the time, I should put it online, but I still haven't put it online. Uh, so I made that film. I also made a film after that about Palestinian firefighters. I went to the West Bank to film the documentary okay. about those guys out there. Um, that, again, that's another film I am put online for various reasons. So I, I, I so since that film, I've always had a. I wanted to do another film, but I would have the right idea. So I didn't just make another. Boxing film, but a boxer that'd be something something different. And mm. I, I know I know I've known James for a long time, but I got really friendly with him around the time of he started fighting in BKB, which is a British medical boxing company. And I started working for them, and I went on his podcast as well. And uh, James likes Star Wars. I like Star mm. Wars. We texted each other Star Wars stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I can't hundred percent remember where the idea even came from to do a film, but it must be mentioned at some point. And then he had the, he signed with BKFC, the American medical company. And he had a fight fairly late notice, his first fight in America for them. And it was just too late notice for me to do the film. Yeah. But then we still kept on talking about it. And then um, he had this opportunity to fight in New Orleans. I was lucky that it was, I was pretty quiet work-wise around that sort of time in February. Um, so I, I can't even, I don't, I don't think he even said he'd do the film. Or I don't think I even said to him, I think the idea was just there. 
Yeah. My, my, my diary was sort of free. I think I actually booked the tickets to go even before James and his team did. And, um, yeah, and then it's just having the, the right story, especially James with his poetry become well-known as well. Like, he's had French TV crews following around the mm. BBC, where he's online do stories about him. And that, that little slightly different angle yeah. just makes it a little bit quirky, a little slightly different story. So you've got this bare-knuckle boxer. He's not stereotypical. Also, yeah, he's also a poet. Mm. And I think all, all fighters are individuals, even though they oh, get course, stereotyped. Yeah. But James, this, this is quite a, an overtly... Example it's of almost it. opposite, isn't it? Yeah, to, to what the stereotype is of yeah. what a fighter is. But I mean, I could, I, would, I probably will end up asking to pick your brains about documentary because I've got a couple of ideas of little films which I would like to make myself, and I'm kind of like at the point where I had the idea about sort of six to eight months ago, and I know like I've already even sort of worked out like the layout and who I want to speak to and all these different things. And I kind of just keep putting it off for a variety mm. of reasons. So I might pick your brain about that. Yeah, no bit, problem. Just with because then, um, yeah. just the logistics of it. Like, did you do it all yourself? Like yeah. everything, the filming, yeah, yeah. voiceovers and yeah, yeah, the lot, yeah, editing, um, the editing, yeah, yeah, editing, so much fun. Yeah, well, actually, with with this film, I can imagine it's previous, much more fun to edit something like that. Yeah, with, with the previous films, the Palestinian documentary and the other boxing documentary I made. They were difficult to edit, really difficult. Cause I was had to use other people's footage, had to get permission, and I was emailing people to use bits and bobs. So that makes it hard work. Whereas this, everything I had was my own, apart from the, the, the fight footage, which BKFC allowed me to use, which was great. Um, and the, the film, it went, uh, no, in my head, I knew roughly how it would go. The only bit I couldn't really plan for was the actual fight itself. Yeah. You know, we could, there's a few things that could have happened in my head. I didn't like to think about them too much because no, I invested quite a lot of money in making this film. But I was thinking, what if one of them gets injured? For the fight, then all this filming and all the time and money's gone down the drain. What if one fails the weight? What if no? There's lots of different things that yeah, could have yeah, happened. Lots of once if James no, loses, mm. no, they still make the film, but it obviously won't be a happy such ending. a good happy ending. Yeah, so it won't be like no, it won't be a, a film that you probably want to watch too much, I guess. So there's lots of there was the fight was the unknown. That's that's everything else went as I sort of thought. You know, I've been unboxing a long time, so no, most of these things work. But then you got the the New Orleans on fight day. That's when anything could happen. Yeah, of course. Just, uh, I find it fascinating that side of it. Like, what is the rules on footage and stuff in terms of using it in something like that, like a documentary or something like that? Is there like is it? Because I saw I saw one clip of some guy saying, "Oh yeah, you can as long as it's under certain amount of time, thirty seconds or whatever." You can I think use it and if you look on YouTube, there's a big list of sort of examples of how you can. I think you can use on YouTube at least it's fair use for if you can use stuff for like research purposes or for I can't remember exactly they word it, but in my case, I just I, I don't make a film and then all of a sudden someone emailed me and said you've got to take us off. So with all the films I've made. I've always just got permission, an email, mm. not not verbal, but an email yeah, permission. Right, yeah. So if anything does come back, we say, look, you, are you allowed me to use this? Mm. Like with the, the documentary on Ali Cook, I had permission of Frank Warren to use um, some fight footage from his show in Cardiff that night. And I had a, for the Palestinian film, I had permission of um, a news organisation who allowed me to use their news reports. And in, in, in this case, with the Warrior Poet, I had permission of BKFC to use their yeah. fight footage. So I, I just think... It's easier, better to get permission. Yeah, you don't make a lot of work and a lot of effort, and mm. no, there's certain things you can do to work around if they don't give permission. But yeah. why, why, 
it's just easier to get permission. Yeah, of course, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure the legal ins and outs, but if, if yeah. they say you can use it, then you know you're covered. Yeah, just get it in writing and then it's sorted. Yeah. Um, in terms of going forward, what's the plan for you? Um, well, with the Warrior Poet, um, it was a little bit rushed putting it out. It wasn't quite 100% finished as I'd like it because James had his world title fight against Palomino. That I don't think James was expecting to get that quite as soon as it no. materialised. Because Palomino was hoping to fight somebody else, that fight didn't happen, so he fought James instead. So I thought I had maybe a, a four-month period to make finish this film. So I was going to the film and a few film festivals. It's a couple of different things I wanted to do, uh, slightly differently. But then when this fight got announced, I was like, oh, right. So what do I do? I, I, I thought if I had the film straight away, you almost have to put it out when he's having a title fight. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I didn't have to, but it would be it would work better because obviously this is the, the yeah. this is the fight that got James to fight. So and then I know James wanted it out and his team wanted it out. So I just and also because I, I was lucky enough to get a sponsor, which allowed me to basically not lose any money on the film. Um, it just allowed me to to get it out there. But I, I would have liked so to do something different. But my plan is roughly, um, I'm probably gonna do like the film is almost a hour hour and a half long. So I wanted to include James's poetry side of it. I wanted to include his family life, his work life, and all the rest of it. And sort of a slow, slow, long build up. That was my plan for the film. Mm. Was I can probably do like a, a director's cut where I'm really yeah. name for it yet. It was more like a twenty minutes, half hour version. Okay. Where I can enter that in film festivals, because with film festivals, a lot of them they want to have, they don't want the, the whatever you're entering. No, but no, it's not so much that they don't want it already in the public eye. It's got to uh, be exclusive okay. to them. Yeah. Well, not exclusive. It's only can't be watched, yeah. like on TV or whatever. So. I'd have to do a recut for that reason. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'd probably just do, do a recut, like a half-hour version or 20 minutes, half-hour, and enter that in a few film festivals and just, just see where it goes, basically. Yeah. Like, I mean, I won a few awards with my Palestinian film and my other previous film, like uh, film festival awards. So I, I, I do think I've ma- I made this film better. I'd like to think it's better. And you know, the mistakes I made on the previous films, I'd like to think I've corrected them this time. So I'd just enter in a few festivals and see where it goes. Well, I'm hoping I'm going to watch it. <laughs> I, was, I sat down yesterday because my missus and my father-in-law had a drink on Saturday. I drove, so I didn't go and drink much anyway. But like, So I was like, oh, they the kids are all out. She's sort of just chilling. I can just sit down and watch it. And literally, as I press play, my oldest, uh, sorry, my middle son phoned me and he's like, Dad, I can't get home. Can you pick me up? <laughs> Yeah, but the thing with the, the film... Destined to not watch it. <laughs> not just this film, all the two other films I've watched. Like the Palestinian one in particular, I got asked. That's probably been shown like in maybe about four or five different countries. People can't access that though now, can they? That, I keep on meaning to upload it, but there's a few reasons why I don't. But I, I should upload it. Mm. But that, that film that film was sort of taking me to America. People have paid wow. to go to America to show it. Yeah. And it's been shown all over the UK and shown in Ireland. I was invited to go to Iran of all places to show it. But it was only because it was... It was around Christmas time and mm. also I knew if I went to Iran it'd probably get blocked my copybook with going to America or it would yeah. made it more difficult to get into America so yeah. I didn't the film was shown in Iran but it wasn't so you um, just didn't go up there I didn't go no but so I should have introduced you in the, instead of just filmmaker at the start I should have said award winning filmmaker really well <laughs> well yeah I suppose, yeah, I suppose you could they're, been, it's not, they're, they're not Oscars or anything or BAFTAs but yeah they're oh, small don't, don't think you should small, down. small awards but yeah it's, it's good that people like them recognise your work innit yeah at the end yeah. of the day have you got any plans for any further films at the moment any ideas well I'm interested in what your film plan is uh, I'll tell you after the camera's <laughs> finished I, I, um, I think it'll do quite well I really do think it's a 
genuinely like um, an interesting idea. And I think there's some legs to it. And I think mm. just from the feedback which I've got. Yeah. The, the only problem with the film, no problem, the only issue is, as you probably know yourself, from do editing and things, that once you're sort of committed, it takes up so much time. Yeah. People don't appreciate Like my missus, yeah, so I, I got a little sort of office. God, I would imagine if it's something that long, you've got to be almost doing it on a daily basis. Yeah, like every day, I just get up, coffee, turn my laptop on, start editing. But sometimes I can be editing a bit of footage. And my missus will have a look and she'll ask me about it and I'll tell her and she'll come in, like, she'll go to work, come home. I'm still editing the same little bit of footage. Yeah. She said, you've only done like 30 seconds. Yeah. Every time you cut bits out, you change the colour, you change the audio, add a bit, take a bit out, do this and do that. It's just so time consuming. So at the moment, I'm gonna. I don't have any plans for any full, full films. I actually got a, funny enough. Um, I've talked this, but I, I come from an Irish family, so I, I, all my relatives are Irish. Um, I've talked to somebody the other day that about doing a short film. This exclusive, you know, because mm. I haven't told anyone else this. In the, I don't know if you know much about the Irish um, Easter Rising in nineteen sixteen, where they much, rose up against the British Empire. Yeah. It's possible, oh, I'd have to do a bit of research. The first British soldier killed in that was actually a guy from my stake, it's called Kyra My Stake. There's a possibility he was the first person killed, but he's certainly probably the first British soldier killed. Mm. So I'm considering doing a, a really short, maybe even five minute film or ten minute film about yeah. just that because I think that, that's gone Very interesting, a bit it? unnoticed. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, that's just a little idea bouncing on my head at the moment. I haven't really done any more research into it I'll have to do some research into it first but, but I know a few people who should be able to help me out with that indeed interesting um, right what I'll do is I'll drop all Kieran's social media links in the description below I'll also put a link to the film in there so please do check it out Warrior Poet if you're a regular watcher of the channel you'll uh, obviously know James as well because he's been on a few times in different ways different shows different things um, Kieran it's been an absolute pleasure mate really uh, really enjoyed having a chat to you and uh, I look forward to seeing the film. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks for Thanks asking me to go on your, on your show. Thank you, mate. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Thank you. Awesome. Um, guys, please subscribe. And uh, if you'd like to become a member, which helps effectively uh, keep the lights on, patreon.com slash acepodcastnation. And uh, check out the Sports Social Podcast Network as well, because they help us out a lot. Cheers. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. Eighteen plus.